verse 24, which is on page 637 in the Pew Bibles. And as our kids uh, are dismissed to children's church now, any kids kindergarten to second grade can head off to children's church if they'd like. We're continuing our study in Proverbs. This is your first Sunday with us. Just glad you're here. We've been studying through Proverbs since about September of 07, and we'll be finishing in uh, the next month or so. And, and recently we've been looking at sort of a constellation of Proverbs that have to deal with family, parenting, marriage, uh, male-female relationships. And today we come to this issue of in parenting discipline about which Proverbs really does have a lot to say. So look with me at Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24, which is our keynote verse. It says, He who spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Uh, It's one of those memories that you have as a parent when you first bring your baby home from the hospital. I remember when I brought our oldest daughter home and you put her down in the crib for the first time and there's no nurses around, no doctors. It's just you and the new baby and it's like, wow, this is real. There's our baby and you just stare at it. And then the baby grows. It's like every day there's something new in the baby's life. And eventually they're sitting up. And so you put them on the ground sitting up and you put toys in front of them. And who needs a TV? You know, just sit and watch the baby channel. It's so great all day staring at that child. And then the baby starts to crawl. And then they're pulling up on things. And then they're like one-handing it. And then they take off the hand and then they're walking and you're taking pictures and you're putting it on Facebook and you're calling up the grandparents. Uh, and then the day comes when they actually start to talk. And there's that, that moment when you realize that when they looked at you and they said, Mama, they meant it. And then your heart just explodes and melts. They're saying, Mama, they're saying, Dada. You know, tears running down your face. You're like, ah. Oh. And then it happens. They say another word that they learn almost as quickly as mama and dada. It's the word no. 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 And you're like, no. (laughs) What happened to my baby? What happened to my beautiful little child? No. And now, now they're grabbing things and now they're pushing and now they're throwing, now they're biting. Now you put things in front of them on their, their high chair and they shoot it off. And applesauce flies everywhere and they yell, no! And you're like, what is going on? What's happened to my little child? Well, here's the problem. Your beautiful, wonderful little baby was born a sinner. I know that's not popular to say, but you know, it's real. Not only did they inherit your, your genes and your spouse's genes, but they also inherited their great, 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 great grandparents' genes, Adam's genes, and Adam's sin nature. And so the whole human race, including ourselves, has this bent, sinful nature. And, you know, to me, I've said this before, that the doctrine of original sin is the most empirically verifiable of all Christian doctrines. You just see it yourself. As a parent, I never once had to teach my kids to lie. I never taught my kids to steal. I never taught them to push. They just know how to do that. I know how to do that instinctively. What is it that we have to teach children? We teach them how not to lie. We teach them how to be uh, respectful and kind. And we have to teach them how to share. That's what you have to teach children, not the opposite. 
uh, it was St. Augustine who said that the innocence of children is due more to frailty of limb than purity of heart. And it really is the case. And so, what do you do then as a parent when this beautiful, wonderful child that you would give your life for says no and begins to act in ways that you, you're like, I told them not to do that, and yet they're doing it. And you draw a line in the sand, and so they put their little toe over the line in the sand. Right? And then they steal some money out of the purse to buy candy, and then they sneak out at night and take the car. You know, and it, it's the same thing. It just kind of escalates in the magnitude of what they're able to do. And that, my friends, is where this whole topic of discipline enters the picture. Uh, if you were here last Sunday, you know we talked about parenting. So it's kind of like part two of that message. But we saw in parenting in, in, the, in Proverbs that God has placed parents in their children's lives as the primary source by which he trains and teaches children. That the primary uh, teachers of children should be parents. That that is your job above schools, above music lessons, above all else, is the parents' task to teach and train children. And part of the task, not all of it, but a part of the task, a very difficult part of the task, is discipline. That's part of being a parent. Yes, there's love and there's joy and there's also discipline. That's an aspect of parenting. And so we look here in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. Again, he who spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him, if you love your kid, you will be careful to discipline him. Maybe I, um, let me do this. Let me define the word discipline as I think, as I understand it being used in Proverbs. Let me give you kind of a working definition and then I'll sort of show you from Proverbs, kind of work backwards, show you why I think that's what discipline means based upon what the text is saying here. So here's a, a working definition of discipline. Discipline is when a parent loves their kids enough that they will teach and train their children through the controlled use of discomfort and pain. That's discipline. So there's three parts. It's loving your kids enough. Number two, to train and educate them. And then the means. By means of the controlled, appropriate use of discomfort and pain. That's what discipline is. That's part of the teaching. It's not everything you do, but it's part of it. Now, maybe it would help to sort of say what discipline is not. Because I think you start talking about this topic and people... You know, we conflate issues, we conflate ideas, and I like to sort of pull them apart and say what discipline is not. When I'm talking about discipline, I'm talking about something distinct from, say, judgment or punishment or justice. Okay, that's what a judge does. When a judge slams down his gavel and he says 30 years without parole, that's judgment. That's because a law was broken and now, so that justice is upheld and retribution is meted out, a judge uh, gives a sentence for a crime. That's different from discipline. That's executing justice. Uh, discipline is also different from abuse. Okay, That's a different thing. Abuse uh, doesn't care about loving the kid or teaching them anything. Abuse isn't even about justice. Abuse is just cruel and it's bullying and it injures. It, and it uh, injures spirits, it injures emotions, it injures bodies. That's a different kind of thing. And I just want to say that because I think sometimes uh, we tend to blend these together and there's a sense that any kind of discipline is abuse or something like that. And it's just not the case. These are different kinds of things. Or here's another way perhaps to distinguish them. Discipline is what God does to his children. Judgment or punishment is what God does to his enemies. And abuse is what God never does. 
That's what Satan does all the time to everybody. That's his business. But God is, God is just and He judges and He is kind to His children and He disciplines. So I want to talk this morning not about abuse, not about uh, judicial punishment. I want to talk about this concept of discipline, which is when a parent loves their child enough that they will seek to intentionally train and shape the child through the appropriate controlled application of discomfort and pain. That's discipline. So let me take those three parts. Let's start with love. Look at verse 24. It says, He who spares the rod hates his son. But here we go. He who loves him is careful to discipline him. The reason you discipline children is because you love them. That's why. Discipline stinks. I hate disciplining my kids. I don't like it. It makes me feel crummy. And I go around the rest of the day second-guessing myself. puts me in a bad mood. I don't enjoy that. I never like disciplining my kids. It's just, it's no fun. So why do parents do it? It's because we love them. You know, if you like disciplining your kids, if you like meeting out judgment, you know, then there's probably something wrong that you need to look at. Like, to me, that's more what abuse is. Somebody who takes pleasure in meeting out discipline. I don't take pleasure in it. So why do we do it? Well, because we love them. And we, we understand, as adults who have a perspective, that sometimes, if you love someone, you have to allow a small, short-term discomfort in order to achieve a long-term health and blessing. That sometimes you have to have delayed gratification. That's part of growing up and understanding how the world works. Look, for instance, at Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 18. Let me give you some for instances here. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 18. It says, Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. There's a future. There's something far off that's ahead of you that you can achieve. Do not be a willing party to his death. So we forego a short-term comfort in order to gain a long-term blessing. Or look with me at chapter 23, verses 13 and 14. It's a command. Do not withhold discipline from a child. Don't do it. If you punish him with a rod, he will not die. Punish him with a rod and save his soul from death. So again, it's a long-term view. I want to raise my child to be the kind of person who's going to have a successful life. Uh, and not just in, in a worldly sense, but a successful life before God. And so I've got to do some things now that hurt, even though in the long term it's going to be a blessing. You know, it's like when you take your kid to the doctor. And the nurse says, okay, I need to give them their inoculations, so I need you to hold your child down. You know? You know, any parents have to do that. That is like the worst. You know, I'm almost like, just give the shot to me, okay? I'll do it. And then I'll like, you know, rub them or something and inoculate them. But so you hold your baby down, and the nurse takes a syringe and she jams it into the meaty part of their thigh. And the baby's like, wah! You know? Why are you doing this, mom? It's terrible. But you know what? As uncomfortable as that moment is, boy, it sure beats polio. That's why we do it. Okay? Same kind of thing. A wise parent knows that it's far better to hear a child cry in the moment than to be an adult who 20 years later is sobbing over children that have gone astray because I didn't parent them. I didn't discipline them. So it's a sacrifice you make in the short term. I had to do this this weekend. And when I was thinking about this, I'm like, boy, this is a sermon where I have no end of sermon illustrations from my own life. This is 
Some sermons I'm like, online, I, please, I need one illustration. But this one I'm like, you know, it's everywhere. So uh, this weekend uh, I was mowing the front lawn and the back lawn and I was, had my oldest boy on the, the mower, overriding mower, and I was starting to teach him a little bit how to mow. And uh, eventually I'd like to hand that off. And, uh, and, and my, my younger daughter... She came out and she's like, I want to ride in the mower. And I was like, okay, you'll get your turn. And then the littlest one, the four-year-old boy comes out. And he's like, comes out and sees everyone on the mower. He's like, I want to be on the mower. He loves to ride in the mower. And he's crying and he's just a mess. So I stop the mower, I get off, I hug him. And I tell him, I go, okay, look, your brother is driving it first. And then your sister is next. And I said, and then you get to ride. Daddy promises you're going to get to ride. But you have to wait your turn. And he's like calming down. He's doing like the... <laughs> you know? Okay. Okay. And he's doing that whole thing. I said, okay. Send him off. I go in the more. So I'm driving them all around. And like 10 or 15 minutes later, there he is again, sitting on the porch, bawling his eyes out. Because he wants so badly to get on the mower. And you know, my instinct as a dad is just, oh, come on. Get on the mower. But it's like, look, I told him something. And this is a great learning opportunity. Because if I put him on the mower now, as much as that would make me happy as a dad, what message have I taught him? I taught him that if you scream and fuss, you get whatever you want. How many adults still think that's how the world works, huh? <laughs> if I raise a stink, I get what I want. Right? But if I delay gratification... What will I teach him? I'll teach him, hopefully, start to teach him patience. I'll start to teach him about keeping word. And if dad says something, it's true, and you need to keep your word. So you know what I did? He's sitting there, bawling his eyes out on the steps. I drove by him on the mower, and I just looked at him and went... (laughs) Did I I do it because I'm cruel? You know, because I hate my son? No, I love him. But I, I, I was like, for this, and I know this is uncomfortable. I don't like seeing him cry. He doesn't like to cry, but he's got to learn. And so it's all those little things like that. And you do it because you love them. You want a long-term blessing and benefit for your children. So parents, if you love your kids, if you love them, prove it by disciplining them. And this may sound a little strong, but I just feel like this is a strong verse because it says if you hate your children. So let, me, let me even soften a little. If you never discipline your kids in any way, you're being a lousy parent. Okay? You're failing your children. You're failing them. I know you think you're not, and you just have a big heart, and you're like, oh, I just can't bring myself to do it. You have got to discipline yourself (laughs) to do the right thing, and then discipline your children. Okay? It has to be done. And and that can look different. It's different for every kid. Different situations. We'll talk about that more. but, But it has to be done. If you love them, you will discipline them. And that leads us to the second part of discipline. So discipline is when a parent loves their child enough to train them in godliness and wisdom. So the second part of discipline is that there's a goal. The motivation is love. The reason I do it is because I love them, not because it's fun. But the goal, what I'm trying to get out of it is to train and shape my children's behavior. I want to try to guide the way they behave. So um, let me look at two verses with you that kind of fit together. You take these two verses, they sort of fit together. They're both a verse 15. One is found in Proverbs 22:15. The other is found in Proverbs 29:15. Put these two verses together, and they kind of explain the teaching part of discipline. Look at 22:15. Let's start there. It says folly or foolishness. I can translate that stupidity. <laughs> foolishness, folly, is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Now, 
Put that together with Proverbs 29.15. Where it says, The rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. So the, the rod of correction drives out the folly and it drives in wisdom. See that kind of imagery? You put those two together. Children are naturally foolish. If left to themselves to just guide their own decisions, they're going to make poor decisions. Uh, you know, there's this kind of idea that's popular today that children are inherently good, but it's society that ruins children. And if society wasn't there, children would just be naturally good. You know, the, the logical, obvious logical flaw with that belief is where does society come from? You know, was it brought to us by aliens that imposed evil? It's us. We're society. We generate culture. It, it comes out of human beings. So where does it come from? It's from our hearts. And it's because it's within us. It's not just external. You know, uh, Carl Rogers, the, the famous therapist who developed client-centered therapy and uh, you know, unconditional positive regard in counseling, his philosophy was that people were inherently good. And he said that everyone, his, his phrase was, everyone has an organismic valuing process. In other words, we all have within us this instinct to do the right thing for us. And that if we just can take away the, the oppressive values of the parents and take away the oppressive values of the church and of the school system and of the society and the TV and just let kids do what they would naturally do, they're going to do the right good thing because kids are inherently good. That was his view. And it's, it's just poppycock. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's not how people are. You know, a more accurate picture is the book, The Lord of the Flies. That's what happens when you leave a bunch of kids by themselves. You know? My kids complain all the time about recess. They're like, we hate recess. You know, I'm like, what, you hate recess? They're like, well, we've got to play soccer. And kids are picking up the ball, and kids are throwing it around, and they're screaming at each other. I go, well, what do the teachers say? They go, well, they don't, they don't do anything. They're over on the side talking to each other. And we just kind of sort it out for ourselves. It's like, what? You mean when kids are left to themselves, chaos ensues? What? You know? What about their organismic valuing process? Uh, Proverbs has a different anthropology. Proverbs tells us that folly is within us, that sin is inherent, and that it needs to be driven out and wisdom needs to be driven in. So that means that discipline not only comes out of love, but the whole point of it, the whole point of discipline is to teach and shape a person's life. That's why you do it. You want to see them change for the better toward God and toward godliness. And if that's not the goal, then it's really not discipline. It's kind of something else. You know, perhaps judgment, perhaps abuse, perhaps frustration. Uh, th that means whenever you um, discipline, there's got to be a lecture somewhere. <laughs> Lectures are very important. You know, parents, lecture your children. That's very important. Because if I'm imparting some discomfort of discipline, but I don't explain to them why... I'm doing what I'm doing and why they did what they did and how this is a consequence and how they ought to change and what they could have done better. You know, unless you give that whole long lecture, which after a while, I think kids start to dread the lecture. Worse than the punishment. Just give me the punishment, not the lecture. But you give them this lecture so that that way they understand then when you say, therefore, I'm going to do this, that's why I'm doing it, then learning can happen. See, what often happens, this is, this is one of my faults as a parent. I, I catch myself doing this is that I skip the, the explaining part and I just kind of short-circuit that. So my kids will be in the other room and they'll be like bouncing on the couch and doing things they're not supposed to do and yelling and pushing each other. And 
It's like I'm trying to get some things done. I'm working in the kitchen or I'm cleaning or something. And I just hear this cacophony and it's getting louder and wilder and I hear things breaking. And, and I'll just, I'll get, suddenly I'll just like go from like zero to, you know, Tom Cruise. I'll be like, ah! And I'll just, you know, walk in and I'll be like, stop it! Stop it! You know, no TV! You know? Like, okay, so the kids are, you know, they're just like, okay, <laughs> all right, I guess we did something wrong, you know? And, and I, I'm like, well, I disciplined them. Like, no, you didn't. I didn't discipline them because I didn't teach them anything. You know, they didn't, like, now they have to guess. Like, okay, let's see. So, probably the couch jumping was bad, I'm guessing. <laughs> I mean, I, the only thing I know for sure is dad went crazy. And I, I need to be careful not to make him crazy. I don't know, you know? So, they didn't learn anything. And so, you know, you've got to take the time. This is why discipline is not for people who are in a rush. Discipline is not for the faint of heart. It is exhausting. It is highly repetitive. And it takes time. It's inefficient. It always happens in inconvenient moments. You wish they could plan it out better, but it just happens. And you've got to sit down for the tenth time and say, okay, you know, you don't do this. If you do that, what will happen? I don't know. What will happen? I'll break the couch. Right. Now, you know, what should you do instead? And if your sister's doing that, your brother's doing that, what should you do instead? Okay. Now, next time I want you to do this. Now, as a consequence, you're going to get this. That's just tedious. It's exhausting. Discipline is so tiring. And it's so easy to take the shortcuts and just scream at them or yell at them or ignore them. Or, but real discipline involves training and instruction. It's to drive out folly and drive in wisdom. And that takes a lot of love and attention. And it's not for the faint of heart or for those who want an easy pass at this. Because discipline is loving your child enough to teach them and to train them. And then what specifically makes discipline different from other teaching techniques is that it involves the uh, controlled, appropriate use of discomfort in pain. That's part of it. Like we've seen in all these verses, what's this phrase we see over and over? The rod of correction. <laughs> the rod of discipline. Like that just is not very comfortable, the rod, right? Like, ooh, ouch. But uh, before we all say, well, this is some ancient barbaric document, I don't know, step back and think about it. Like, when are the times you have grown the most in your life as a person or as a Christian? Weren't they the times you went through difficulty and came out the other side? Things changed in your character. You were strengthened. You were shaped. Things that shouldn't have been there were sort of burned off through the difficulty and new character qualities emerged and were strengthened. We, we grow through difficulty as Christians. This is sort of a common biblical theme. Uh, did you ever have a coach? Some of you guys are athletes. Did you ever have a coach who pushed you to swim more than you ever thought you could swim, to run further than you ever thought you could run, to, to keep going after you thought you were done and you're just going to vomit and give up and you vomit and they said, now get back up and hit it again. And you did. And you grew and you were strengthened and you're like, wow, I'm becoming stronger. Right? Did you ever have a teacher that you loved in high school or college or graduate school? My favorite teachers, you know who they were? The teachers who challenged me to learn and to read more than I thought I could read, to write better than I thought I could write and who were hard and didn't hand out A's to everyone because they're you know, worshiping that, you know, worried that everyone is going to have a low self-esteem. But you know, they were like, I don't care. There's only going to be one kid in this class that gets an A. Those are the teachers that pushed me. And I grew from them. 
And so in the same way, through that controlled, appropriate application of discomfort and pain, we can push our children further. Because again, our children, like us, we, are, we have a sin nature. If we did not have a sin nature, if we were righteous and pure as the wind-driven snow, then all you would have to do is lecture your kids and it would be done. You would say, now Johnny, don't do that and do this. And Johnny would say, okay. And he would do it. Right? And then you wouldn't have to do discipline. But because of our fallen condition, that, that pain and discomfort is a part of the equation. And I understand that, that that can look different for every kid. There's not a you know, one-size-fits-all. I do not believe discipline is a science. I believe it's an art. It varies upon the different personalities of the children. Every child is different. Every stage of life is different. Some things that worked when they're three don't work when they're 13. Some kids, you just have to look at them wrong and they're brokenhearted. Other kids, it's like nothing gets through to them. Some kids have developmental and learning challenges that make some types of discipline effective and not effective. So I understand it's complex. And yet, we still have to find what works for our kids. And when they are defiant or when they break God's rules and laws, we need to be there to enforce negative, uncomfortable, even painful consequences. That can be. That can be time out. For some kids, to be socially cut off from what the other kids are doing is devastating. Other kids, they're like, oh, great, I like time out. I can hang on and do what I want. You know, so that doesn't work for that kid. Uh, for some kids, you know, it's removing privileges. I'm sorry, no, no PSP, no Xbox 360, uh, no cell phone, no car for a week, whatever. And this is why you're not getting those things. Uh, for some children, it can be chores. That's one my wife loves to use. And the kids are, you know, she's, father, she's like, fine, clean the basement. What? And the mudroom. What? And the sunroom. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I, re- I really wish my wife was giving this message. She is, she is so good at discipline. I, I, she just has a knack for it. I just take notes from her. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was great what you did there. And she's just really good at it. And she, so I've learned a lot about discipline from her and how to parent. She's just very uh, gifted uh, by God, I think, a parent. Not that she's perfect, but she just has great gifts that way. And discipline is a part of that. Uh, sometimes it can be making kids pay fines. I mean, get creative. You know what discipline can also include? Spanking. <gasps> yes, I said that in Massachusetts. Believe it or not. <laughs> Spanking is wonderful. What a wonderful tool for discipline. Especially for Younger kids. I, you know, you reach a certain age where you spank your kids and they're like, is that all you got, Dad? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Got to change gears. But like, especially when they're like two to like six or seven, especially when they have very short attention spans, you know, and you're sitting there giving them a five-minute lecture, it's like they didn't remember what you started with. They're little kids. They need no, don't do that, spank, and then that clicks because they need very much immediate feedback. And so that's an important tool. I understand uh, spanking is a controversial topic. Some people are very against it for different reasons. Some people are worried about um, breaking laws and things. And there are some states, I think, that have no spanking laws. And I believe in Massachusetts it's still legal at this point, even though there have been proposals to change that. But you know what? Even if it was outlawed, I'd still say spank your kids. You've got to resist the state. When the state tells you not to do something that God tells you to do, or when the state tells you to do something that God tells you not to do, when, when the state is directly opposed to the will of God, we have an obligation as Christians to resist the state. You know, not violently, 
pass, you know, passively, but we have a resist. We have to resist. Just like in Moses' day, when they, was, when they were told to throw the babies into the river, they hid the babies and they lied to the guards. That was the right thing to do. And so we have to, we have to obey God and not be afraid of man when those two come into direct opposition to one another. Unfortunately, that's not the case right now. Uh, some of us are afraid to discipline a uh, spank because we don't want to turn our kids into violent, poorly adjusted people. We're afraid it's going to scar them emotionally and turn them into animals. And You know, it really doesn't. Your kids know how to hit anyway. <laughs> They're going to do it whether you spank them or not. That's how kids are. That's how we are. And I'll tell you what. A kid is smart enough to know the difference between when they haul off and hit their sister in the nose and when you spank them on the bottom. They know the difference between those two things. They're smart enough. They know that one is not the other. It's not, you know, so... And, and I also understand some of the reasons people have a hard time with discipline is that, frankly, some of us uh, experience that third category of abuse. We've seen it go wrong. We've seen it misused. We've seen parents in anger and in almost a sadistic pleasure abuse. And so, I, and I, I hear that. I mean, I understand that. And all I would say is just... Um, to maybe go talk to the Lord about that more and, and understand that what we're talking about here, discipline, is so not what abuse is. It's a different kind of thing. And so just pray about that. Maybe that's something to keep processing in your own heart and mind as you think through these issues. Um, dis, uh, spanking cannot, will not harm a kid. It will not injure a kid. Uh, look at chapter 23 again. Verse 13 and 14. says, do not withhold discipline from a child. Don't hold back. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. <laughs> punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. You will not harm a child through spanking. Uh, this is a very cushioned area of your body. I don't know if you've noticed lately. There's, um, <laughs> there's a lot of cushion. It's also interesting, uh, I don't know if you've noticed this in anatomy, but there's no vital organs there. <laughs> you can't injure you can't kill somebody. It just stings, you know? It's almost like God put it there for a number of reasons. Um, you know what else? This is the other funny thing, is I'm just talking about spanking, like spank. The Bible's talking about foreign objects in the ring. Can you, do you see that? It, look at it. It's talking about rods. Like, holy cow. So, people, I'm actually watering down the Bible this morning. Mark this in your calendars. The day Jeremy preached from the Bible and watered it down. It's talking about foreign objects. Just to satisfy my curiosity, purely for my own curiosity's sake, how many of you, when you were a kid, were disciplined, not abused, but disciplined? How many of you were disciplined by means of getting spanked on the, the butt with a hairbrush, a, uh, a ruler, a belt, a wooden spoon, a paddle? I mean, just raise your hand if you got that. Okay. There's a couple of you here. Okay. Now, I'd like you to raise your hand if you're still alive. It's good. And you, you're okay? Didn't become like a sociopathic criminal? Okay. Just my own curiosity. Just wondering. Here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. Is that God has authorized us as parents to love our children enough that we would stand in a sense in the place of God. I, I don't mean that in an absolute sense, but in a relative sense. To be agents for discipline in our children's lives to uphold His law. That's a responsibility that God's given us. And I just want to encourage you parents to take courage and do your job for the sake of loving your kids. Don't become one of those parents who every time their kids gets in trouble, they go bail them out 
and make excuses for their kids' behavior. And if they get in trouble in school, don't be one of those parents who goes and screams at the teacher, you know, and, and blames it all on everyone else except their own kid. Don't be one of those parents. Fight the urge as a parent to be one of those parents who, who uses their children as their own, to get their own affirmation for who they are as a person. There's some, some parents who, like that's how they get their need for affirmation met, is they want their children to like them. And I can't have my kid upset at me because then I'll feel bad about myself. You've got to put that aside. You know, being a parent means that you have fun with your kids, you love them. We laugh with our kids, we have a great time with our kids, but sometimes our kids are not happy with us. You have to be okay with that as a parent. Your job as a parent is not to be their cool friend. You know? You're not cool anyway. <laughs> That's part of what happens when you have a kid. All your cool is transferred. <laughs> and you buy a minivan. So there it is. You're not cool anyway. Stop trying to be their cool friend. You know, you're going to get to be your kid's friend someday. It's when they're adults. And when they have kids, <laughs> and, uh, and they're suddenly going, Whoa, what do I do? Then you're friends. You know, I'm friends now with my in-laws. I'm friends with my parents. It's awesome. But right now you're called, if you have little kids or teens, you're called to be a parent. And that means you may be unpopular for a while. Your approval ratings may be low. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. You're not doing this for approval ratings. You're doing this because it's our job to discipline. And if you're still struggling with this idea of discipline, if it's still having a hard time with it, perhaps one more, and let me just look at one more passage that might encourage you. It's Proverbs chapter 3. Just one more from Proverbs. On, in the same vein, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Where it says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent His rebuke because the Lord disciplines those He loves as a father of the Son He delights in. God disciplines His children so it's okay for you to do it too. It's okay. God disciplines us because He loves us. Have you ever been through difficult circumstances in your life or maybe you're going through them right now where you just feel overwhelmed and at first, you kind of put up stiff upper lip and you gut it out. But after a while, the problem and the difficulty continues and it continues. And you start to wonder. You're like, has God left me? Has God abandoned me? Maybe God's punishing me. Have you ever asked that question? Is God punishing me? Is that why this is happening? Did I do something wrong? God's punishing me? Maybe he's, maybe he's taken away my salvation. Maybe I'm no longer his child. Why is this stuff happening to me? What's God punishing me for? And I just want to say categorically this morning so that you understand if you are truly a Christian, if you've truly been forgiven through Christ, you're truly a follower of Jesus, born again in Christ, you, are, you cannot and you will not be punished for your sins in the sense of judgment and justice because we've been forgiven. Like we sang in that song, I'm forgiven because Christ was forsaken. You see that? God doesn't punish in the sense of retribution and justice Christians. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we're forgiven. But does God discipline Christians? Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's what's happening. Maybe you're being disciplined. And maybe not even disciplined for some specific thing you did. You know, like my kids, I discipline them to do something wrong, but maybe it's more like a coach. 
who's simply allowing things into your life because God wants you to become more holy and more godly and less trusting in the things of this world, to know Him more and to love Him more. Maybe that's why those things have come into your life. So instead of asking, why is God punishing me? Perhaps as a Christian you can ask, God, show me what you're trying to do in me to shape me. And Lord, I want to have that, whatever that is. And that's an easy thing for me to say. (laughs) It's difficult when you're going through it. But still, it's a different way of looking at it. What if it's not punishment? What if it's God lovingly disciplining us? And brothers and sisters, I know if you're a Christian, you're not being punished. I can say that with confidence. And I know God loves you. And this is why I can say it with confidence. Because God sent His only Son to be punished in our place. Jesus was not disciplined on the cross. He was punished. So that all of the judgment that I actually do really deserve were God to be straight up with me. All of that was absorbed by Jesus. And so that's why I can be a son. So God sent His beloved Son to be punished in place of God's enemies so that God's enemies could become God's beloved sons. That's the Gospel. That God sent His beloved Son to be punished in place of God's enemies so that God's enemies could become God's beloved Son. And so, brothers and sisters, let us model God's discipline with our own children and let us come to realize that ultimately it's the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection for our sake that gives us any hope. That gives us any hope of being acceptable with God. That gives us hope of being able to come before God in prayer. To be able to come to God and say, God, I cannot figure out how to do this parenting thing. And the reason I can even talk to God that directly is because the way has been opened through the death of Christ for us. And so as we come to the communion table, we come to the ground and source of all of our faith, which is the death of Christ. Can I just ask you straight up this morning, just a final direct question. Are you sure that you're a child of God? Have you become a child of God yet? And that is done by putting your faith in Christ as your Savior. Coming to Him and saying, I am a sinful person in need of a Savior. Lord, I have been your enemy through the way I've behaved, but I want to become your son or daughter. And it happens when we repent of our sin and put our faith in Christ and follow Him as our Lord and Master. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray this morning that You would take this sermon, this truth from Your Word. Take Your Word, Lord, and drive the folly out of us and drive Your truth into us, Lord. Lord, we just pray that You would help us. God, I pray for every parent here. Would You give every parent here supernatural power to parent and to discipline. A power, Lord, and a wisdom that we simply do not have. We're not up to the task without You. And God, I pray that You would Uh, help uh, the children here in this church, Lord, to grow up to be godly people who love You. And Lord, I pray, Jesus, that You would show Yourself and Your sacrifice as the punishment in our place on the cross to all of our hearts. Lord, that we would see that and that we would embrace it. I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here who doesn't know You or or thinks that, that maybe they do but they're unsure, Lord, that they would just grasp onto the cross even now. That they would put all their hope in Jesus and not in their own good deeds and decency. And so, Lord Christ, as we come now to your communion table, we pray you'd meet with us and bless us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.